We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film released in the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Used Cars on July 11th, 1980. It was written by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale, directed by Zemeckis, and released by Columbia Pictures. While Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale were working on the script for 1941, director John Milius approached them with the story of used car salesman working in Las Vegas. It was originally written with George Hamilton in mind for the lead. Universal passed on the project, but Columbia had, at the time, Frank Price had once been a used car salesman and quickly greenlit the project. Jack Warden initially turned down the project until they came back and offered him the dual role of both Fuchs brothers. The Darner Chrysler Plymouth dealership in Mesa, Arizona played the part of Roy L. Fuchs pre-owned automobiles. It remained open for the entire production, and Kurt Russell even starred in some local commercials for the dealership while they were making the movie. You know, I think George Hamilton does remind me of a used car salesman. Yes. I think the the original like draft up that they did was a picture of George Hamilton with Would You Buy a Used Car from This Man of him like, you know, smiling with his crazy tan. John Candy was originally set to play the Joe Flaherty role, but had to drop out. Which was weird because that role didn't seem to be particularly... There's nothing there. Yeah. I think it would have been a bigger role if he'd have been in that place. And and Joe Flaherty is usually a little bit more... This up. is early for him though, right? Yeah, it is. But uh, I like that he, he will make an, an appearance in another Zemeckis movie. That's true. But uh, John Candy had to drop out when the production schedule overlapped with 1941's. Used Cars got a higher score from its test screening than Columbia had ever seen for anything, and consequently, its release date was bumped way up several months to July. As a result, it went into fewer theaters, and it didn't get a full-strength advertising campaign and came out a week after Airplane, which totally destroyed it in the box office. Apparently, in 1984, there was a TV movie of Used Cars. I had trouble confirming this because there's no mention on the Wikipedia page for the film, but a sloppily put-together IMDb page exists for one, Deborah Harmon and Frank McCrae returned to play the same roles for the TV movie, so maybe it's a sequel. I was wondering why there wasn't a Rudy Russo character on the list, but then I noticed that there's an actor named Rudy Russo, and I think whoever made this page mixed up the character and actor names, because Rudy Russo is listed as an actor playing the character Fred McCarran, who was a Kurt Russell-esque actor in the 80s. Mm. But outside the Internet Movie Database, I could find no evidence that this TV movie even existed. But Gale and Zemeckis are listed as executive producers on the imdb page we open the film on the windshield of an edsel with one owner painted across it craning back we revealed the edsel is on the top of a steel column over a used car lot and we sneak up on rudy russo rolling back the odometer on a used car as we pass the driver's side mirror we get a quick crew cameo he moves the car into the row at the lot and when he closes the door the bumper falls off which he reattaches with chewing gum he throws signs on a few cars in a row including a like new sign that he uses to obscure a shattered windshield uh, he fills a car's flat with a can of flat fixer and sprays new car smell into everything on the lot he looks across the street at roy l fuchs auto emporium and he says good morning in response roy hawks a loogie accidentally hitting his own car and then wiping it off manuel shows up manuel being of course el guapo yeah from the three amigos and i love his like almost like dictator-like medals yes. that he has like on his chest yeah he uh, he has a few blue cars for rudy and rudy is able to just wipe the paint off with a rag and uh, verifies that they are in fact painted taxis but he says what is this water-based paint and he says ah we don't get much rain here so it's fine yeah he, he's not angry at the fact that he stole cat ta taxis and painted them to sell to him yeah he's mad that the paint he's using is inferior yeah it bothers me though because that's not how water-based paint works yeah <laughs> I think it's literally watercolor. <laughs> like, that's what they're implying. He shares a photo of 250 cars rotting in the desert, and he says, hey, I got these for sale, too, if you're interested. And he's like, I can't tell anything from this picture. This is not, this is not how you sell cars. But, yeah, he's wearing 
the logos from a bunch of car keychains like their military medals over uh his his uh, left shirt pocket rudy cuts the conversation short when he notices a guy buying a car across the street he decides to bait this customer and uh, moving through the interior of their dealership he catches jim the mechanic asleep with a spray paint gun and he helpfully shuts it off this time jeff another uh co-worker advises against baiting this person because he pulled up in a red car and red cars are bad luck but rudy says he needs the money and besides you got your lucky rabbit's foot and he said i already told you rabbit's foot's no defense against a red car is this an established super superstition like I'm, I'm i've a- never heard it i'm aware of the idea that you know people say that red cars get more tickets or that they're more expensive to insure and stuff like that but i've never heard of it being bad luck just a just a sign in general of bad luck i haven't heard that either um, i'm wondering if it's a reference to some kind of like maybe like to redheads being bad, bad redheads luck? bad luck I, I don't know um i only say that redheads are bad luck because in the movie confidence because there's one time let me the, tell you no. the, <laughs> in the movie confidence they they're they're grifters and they make reference to, to redheads being bad luck yeah uh, and so I don't know if this is like a con man thing. I'm only grasping at straws here. Uh, when Jeff asks why he needs the money, though, uh, he hands him a campaign flyer because Rudy is running for state Senate. And uh, he puts a $10 bill on a hook and casts it across the street with a with a fishing pole. Which I'd like to know how he does. <laughs> yeah, because there's power lines all across the street. Well, that and a $10 bill has absolutely no weight to it. Well, there's yeah. a lot of chewing gum on there, too. Mm. Um, he slowly reels the guy through traffic across the street and uh, he gives him the $10 before he starts selling him hard on the Buick that he ran into when he got here. Kurt is talking super fast here and he almost sounds like Quentin Tarantino. When you add this whole thing up, taking into account inflation rate, insurance savings, gas savings, ease and comfort, you're going to come out $10,000 ahead after making this deal. Well, the rest of these alone of owning a Buick Centurion convertible can't even measure in terms of dollars and cents, am I right? Uh, when he hears the guy's name, he pretends to also be Polish and compliments the man's shitty shoes. Across the street, Roy is just learning that despite an expensive bribery campaign, the mayor will be announcing a new freeway ramp that will cut through his lot, making it useless. I guess they're, like, it's literally an eminent domain domain situation. They're going to take the whole lot. The assistant deputy district attorney, that's the Joe Flaherty character, says that the mayor had to prove that he was impartial, so they chose his lot over his brother's lot. And Roy complains, No, it used to be when you bought a politician, that son of a bitch stayed bought. Stan, the gullible customer with Kurt, Drives off Rudy's lot in the Buick, but as he turns onto the boulevard, the bumper that Russo just slapped his own political bumper sticker on falls off the car. He seems more upset about the wasted sticker than potentially upsetting the customer by having the bumper fall off of it. Uh, Suddenly, he notices that Luke is awake. Luke actually owns this lot, and uh, he's extremely out of focus. Uh, (laughs) Rudy is holding the customer's shoes, implying that he pretended to like them so much that he offered to buy them off of the guy, I guess. And uh, Luke makes it clear that he's not a fan of customer baiting or the bait and switch stuff that Rudy's always pulling. He tries to make the point more practically with Rudy, and he says, Just let's suppose that he is an undercover agent for the Consumer Protection Agency. We're still on probation for consumer fraud. So apparently they've gotten in trouble before, but they're still pulling all these games all the time. Uh, He knows if he does anything to endanger the lot that Roy will scoop it up out from under him. And Rudy explains, look, I just need $10,000 more dollars. He needs 60000 total, apparently, because he that's how much it costs to buy the nomination mm-hmm. uh, for the state Senate seat. And uh, Luke can't help but agree that that's exactly where Rudy belongs because he's such a great liar. Luke asks Toby, his dog, for a Phillips head screwdriver, and the dog runs over and grabs a flathead. Uh, Rudy pitches <laughs> Stupid dog. Rudy pitches some extreme advertising campaigns. I, I have to bring up the line from the the norm mcdonald show the norm when he has a dog and someone's talking to him about how they train their dog to dial 911 and then at the end of the episode norm mcdonald's having a heart attack and he's like quick dial 911 and you hear beep beep boop and he's like that's 991 you idiot (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah rudy pitches some extreme advertising campaigns uh they want to pirate tv signals in the area they want to hire strippers on the lot and luke is not having any of it He's just massaging his heart through his shirt like it's about to just give up on him. Toby tries to give him the flathead and Luke is like, no, this is not what I asked for. Uh, Luke offers to loan Rudy the last $10,000 that he needs. And Rudy is so grateful that he swings Luke in a circle and throws him on the ground hard. This poor old man. Uh, Rudy gets Luke one of his pills because he needs to take pills whenever his heart is acting up. Mm -hmm. He makes Rudy promise that his brother will never steal this car lot out from under him. 
Roy's watching from across the street in binoculars and uh, he comments on his brother's bad heart and how it's only a matter of time before he's going to inherit this lot. I wish we would establish, you know, where this feud came from. Oh, okay. Like, why did these brothers hate what each other? What fueled this feud? <laughs> the, what fueled the Fuchs feud? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there you go. That's good. Um, maybe we do a prequel called Cars. Starring <laughs> Owen take, Wilson. I think it's taken already. <laughs> um... Luke has a daughter, but she is long gone, and Roy develops a plan that his new mechanic, Mickey, from the local demolition derby, will pose as a customer and ask Luke for a test drive and then drive crazily enough to give him a heart attack. Mickey decides to act out this plan wearing his uniform from Roy's shop, which I thought was weird. Just before the fateful test drive, Luke is in a daze because he just got a call from his estranged daughter and she wants to come see him. And he's just over the moon with happiness about it. I was sure this was just the second prong of Roy's plan, getting his daughter in on the scheme to win the lot back if the test drive didn't work to kill right. him. Right. Because otherwise there's absolutely no reason. That she would just suddenly call. Yeah. yeah. It would It would have made more sense that she came out of the woodwork if he had died. Or when, she, when there were accusations of murder or something. Yeah, like because yeah. this whole plot still works if he's he if everyone knows that he's dead yeah and she comes around because that's the whole centerpiece of the plot anyway yeah is that she was gonna get control mickey talks luke into a test drive in the 57 chevy at the front of the lot which is their nicest car and uh when mickey buckles his seatbelt, luke says oh you won't need that she rides very smooth <laughs> it's like it's not really what seatbelts are for but okay mickey does a bunch of really dangerous u-turns and hops the boulevard divider repeatedly uh when luke tries to take his pills Mickey takes a hard left and tosses all the pills out the car window. Luke clutches the patch on Mickey's shoulder so hard that he peels it off of his uniform. And eventually Mickey literally rolls the car back into the used car lot. It's completely totaled and he gets out and says, you know what, I decided I'm not interested and he leaves. Rudy's trying to seal the deal with a client inside who's haggling about the last $50. And Rudy says, fine, you know what, you win this, but... I'm going to tell my boss, and he's going to have a stroke when I tell him about this $50. Yeah, but you know, the way that he rolled that car in there, if... if uh, He wasn't wearing a seatbelt. Yeah, if he wasn't wearing a seatbelt, he would have just been killed instantly yeah. in that car. It has nothing to do with a heart attack. Luke bursts in, having a heart attack, and the customer thinks that this is still over the $50. And when Luke collapses to the ground, he tries to stuff the down payment into Luke's hand. And Luke actually takes the money, which uh, made me laugh. <laughs> But uh, Rudy does what he can here. The customers freak out and leave. But Luke dies there in the office on the floor. And he finds a patch for Roy L. Fuchs' pre-owned automobiles crumpled up in Luke's hand. Roy is watching from across the street. And uh, Rudy knows it. And so he turns off the lights. And he's trying to figure out what he's going to do with this body when Jeff comes in. And also freaks out. He turns the lights on again. And then Rudy turns them off again. But... He tells Jeff, you know, I just promised Luke that I wasn't going to let Roy take this place. So we got to figure out what we're going to do. Roy calls the assistant DA guy and says, you know what? We're going to go visit my brother in the morning. I, I just want to check up and make sure he's doing okay. Mechanic Jim helps crane the Edsel down from the column in the front of the used car lot. And they put Luke's corpse in the driver's seat and then bury him in the pit behind their shop. I like that they also put coins over his eyes. Yeah. Like, they also put a necklace of garlic on him. <laughs> I think that's because they were expecting to have to dig him up later. But Rudy gives a quick eulogy for him, and he says, Luke Fuchs is about to drive over the curb for the last time. In the morning, Roy shows up just as they finish burying the car, and uh, they tell Roy that Luke went to Miami Beach, Florida last week, that uh, he was in a really bad test drive last night, and he wanted to just get some relaxation, so he left town. The plan is still on to hijack the television signal tonight, and uh, Rudy says that if they get in trouble, they can just say, oh, it's our boss's fault and they can't charge him with anything because he's dead already. They can't even find him to charge him with it. Uh, the tech guys in charge of the hijacking get the their system up in place. Lenny and Squiggy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's dark in the lot at the moment because they actually have to do this on location at the football game. But the lights will come on right when they start running the commercial. Jeff suggests that they just pretend to sell one of the cars here in the parking lot of the game. And he says, oh, we'll just sell this maroon car. But Jim notices with a flashlight that this is actually a red car and laughs at what will be Jeff's inevitable meltdown. Yeah, because uh, like, they're using like blue 
blue lights or blue tinted lights at the yeah. moment. And so I guess it's kind of obscuring the true color of the car. Yeah. And they also have a model that's sitting on the hood of the car wearing like a fancy dress. And uh, as a disguise, the tech guys bought these Google-eyed glasses for them to wear in the commercial. Originally, they were like dick nose glasses. Yeah, because I saw those in Kurt Russell's hand. Yeah. And he he reaches out to hand them these dick nose glasses, and then when they're receiving them, they're completely different glasses. But that was because Columbia was like, "Yeah, no, we're not going to have our characters with penises on their faces <laughs> for this scene. Save that for a Dan Aykroyd movie." <laughs> yeah, Jeff doesn't want them to wear anything, but he eventually relents right before they start rolling on the commercial. But as soon as he notices that it's a red car, he just starts losing his shit and he's cursing and freaking out. And people at home are watching this commercial going like, what did he just say? Um, I like the random assortment of people that we're getting, yeah. including Dick Miller. Yeah, for no right? reason, Dick Miller is having <laughs> sex with a woman. And then <laughs> Who, he never comes possibly back. possibly unconscious? Yeah. This woman doesn't look like she's conscious at all. She's looking away from the TV and with she doesn't do closed, anything. Yeah. Yeah. You, you barely see him. And I'm like, was that Dick Miller? And then I was as sure that that character was going to come into play. Yeah. But it was him. And no, he doesn't. But he's one of the people in this <laughs> montage that does not show up the next day on the lot. The, the model tries to slide off of the car and she gets her dress stuck on the hood ornament. And then Rudy jumps into frame with different googly eyed glasses. And he goes to pop the hood and it tears this girl's dress completely off. So everyone watching around town is just shocked at the boobs and cursing that suddenly took over their football game. Um, I like the scene with the the large family that's yeah. all jumping around yeah. the living room, and the mother is just appalled by this. But the kids and the dad are like, "No, no, 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 no leave, leave it, it on, it. leave it on. This is good." <laughs> and, and, and I and I like that it coincides with the roar of the football stadium, who's obviously not watching the broadcast. Yeah, but it's it's just <laughs> happens. It's a, there's a couple of like these coincidences that happen that yeah. are pretty great. But then someone comes in on camera and just starts groping her. and I, was I think like, it's literally the cameraman is okay, reaching out I'll, and grabbing her I was boobs. like, uh. Yeah, it's weird. It happens again later, too. Um, and it's also weird. Uh, the lot is crowded the next day by people who saw the commercial. Unfortunately, no Dick Miller here, though. Uh, Mr. Gertner, the driving school instructor who Luke typically sold cars to, was upset about being sold different cars than Luke showed him. Uh, Rudy bribes him to shut up. Jeff tries to guilt a father, Al, the father of the pile of kids, into buying a car by saying that their dog Toby wants him to buy it. And then when they pull the car away, Jeff kicks a big rock under the tire <laughs> to pretend that they've killed Toby. This was the best. Yeah. Well, except is it? Because well, we do get the drugged dog here, which is always disturbing when they uh, do this. But he's holding had, a completely unconscious dog. And we're sure that this dog was drugged to get this look because... Well, they, no. it's On set, they killed it. But in the movie... <laughs> no. Yeah. It's uh, it, it, it does, it's in the IMDb trivia that, that the dog drugged. was drugged. Okay. Yeah. I was like, his tongue is hanging out. Yeah. And they think. use like little doggy tranquilizers. Doggy so it's downers. Like, it's not like they just <laughs> gave it a downers. big beer. Yeah. It's like Debbie Downer, but with more fur. Um, Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> You don't know about Debbie. <laughs> you know her life. He's he's holding this apparently dead dog, and he says, "All he wanted was for you to be happy in this car, and now he's dead." In front of all these kids that are just sobbing, he tells them Toby just wanted them to have the car and be happy. And so Al buys the car out of guilt. And as he's pulling out of the lot, he drops two kids out of the back <laughs> because the 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 back gate of the car just falls open but luckily these two kids are both wearing full protective football gear which i'm sure was a condition of being able to drop (laughs) kids in the road well they don't seem to be particularly careful about their their car stunts in this film yeah roy has a family carnival night on his uh on his lot he's got camels and tents and games and stuff and then suddenly music and lights kick on across the street and strippers are dancing on the roofs of the cars and also rudy is up there dancing with one of the strippers yeah um Actually, did you did you look at who Rudy's dancing with? No. Okay, we'll we'll come back to that. I, I, it's it, interesting. Okay. But the the stripper on the car with Rudy is wearing bunny ears, so I'm assuming she's the person credited as Bunny later. Cars are crashing into each other as they notice these strippers on the lot, and uh, but it's like late. a flood of people are coming from yeah. the other lot, which I think is strange because yeah. like in, similarly to like a whole lot of families watching like this football game and then coming to a used car lot the next day because they saw a naked woman on television selling cars would you like take your family over to the stripper lot to go buy your car like is that yes. the exciting thing that if i had to choose between a camel and a stripper yes 
But I'm just like, all the people are running. Like, all the women, all the children. Like, everyone's like, strippers! Yay! But also, who goes to a car lot at, like, 9 o'clock at night <laughs> yeah. either? Well, when you want to see strippers, you do, I guess. I guess, yeah. But uh, the whole time that this is going on, cars are crashing into each other in the road because they're stopping to see the strippers. And uh, even more people need cars now. Rudy gets home after a successful event, and he turns on Hail to the Chief on a little tape deck he has as he loads more money into the safe in his fridge that he's saving up to run for office. Uh, He listens to his phone messages. He gets a few girls looking for second dates, and then a call from Jeff, uh, pretending like they're in trouble because Roy recorded the whole stunt from across the street. I'm not clear on why this is bad news, Um, but he's like, you're never going to believe this, but Roy got footage of what we did, and he's going to tell everybody even though we did it in public to tell everybody. I well, guess it's just how he's spinning it. Yeah, I mean, he he is planning to go on TV and say a lot of bad things about them, but, you know. Did, did they not think it was scummy to have strippers dancing on their, their used cars? Their own commercial had a naked woman in it. I mean, yeah. like, all, no no press, is, like, all press is good press, right? Yeah, like, this, they, this is tamer than what they on purpose put on TV yesterday. Right. And it got them a lot of business. Right. So I would think that, like, him complaining would actually get them more business. Yeah. But uh, Rudy's next pitch is to hijack all three major networks during a presidential address. And Jeff says, we can't fuck with the president. And Rudy responds, he fucks with us, doesn't he? Apparently Spielberg argued for that line to be removed from the film because mm. he was a big fan and donor to the Carter campaign. But Zemeckis was like, no, this is this is what the people in like the small town I grew up in. This is how they feel about anyone in in politics is a bad person. And so that line is staying in the movie. And I feel Spielberg, after 1941, should just trust Zemeckis and Gale yeah. to do their own thing. Yeah. Um, Rudy says they have to do something because they had nuns protesting outside the lot this morning. And then he says, <laughs> I had to have Jim turn the fire hose on him. And Jim goes, and I knocked them motherfuckers right on their ass too. <laughs> um, Frank McRae is such a great character. He's in wonderful. This movie. I um, was worried that he was just going to be like some, when, when you always see him asleep. Yeah, that that was going to be the recurring joke. Yeah. Like, no, we get uh, no, more No, no, he is, he is full on in this movie. Yeah. I wish we had established, though, why he keeps falling asleep on the job. It seems a little weird. Yeah, I don't know. As the tech guys explain the practicality of the plan, Jeff doubts their capabilities until Squiggy points them to Lenny's homemade pacemaker, <laughs> which is like, still has like battery parts sticking out of his chest. And uh, it's funny, too, because they... He's like, how do you charge that? They're, how do you replace the batteries in that thing? He's like, they're rechargeable. <laughs> but I like, because like Jeff is so into it. He's like, he's like, because uh, uh, Squeaky's like, only twelve ninety five this. No kidding. <laughs> like he's super. He's like trying to touch it. They're looking like Iron Man though with this thing coming yeah, that's out of his true. chest. Um, Jeff is suddenly hiding under the windows because a girl just pulled up in a red truck, and he assumes that she is with the Consumer Protection Agency. And uh, as he as Rudy approaches her. He tells her that she just won dinner for two and that he's willing to throw himself in since it looks like there's only one of her. Uh, she calls out all the flaws on the car and he asks her straight up if she's with Consumer Protection Agency and she says not anymore. Like, mm-hmm. is this part of why she left? Because she had a problem with the way that her father was selling used cars? Well, and she seems to know something about cars because she's talking yeah. about like the paint colors and things like that. Because it just seems weird to me that by coincidence, she happened to work for the Consumer Protection Agency in the past, unless it's specifically the reason that she and her father split parted ways. And, um, and this is where we get one of those overlapping dialogue scenes where Frank McRae is, I bet she's with the consumer marketing. And it cuts to her saying, no, I'm no, not. I'm with not anymore. But she's just looking for Luke. And when she learns that he just went to Miami Beach yesterday, she bursts into tears. Apparently, Luke is her father. And uh, later... Uh, while she uses a restroom with a peephole in the door, uh, Rudy explains who she is to Jim and Jeff. His plan here is to keep her away from the shop and send her on her way. So he takes her to the best salad bar in town. Airport lands. Which I love because it's like a three-way joke of salad bars are gross and airport eateries and bowling alley eateries. It's like the least possible romantic date. Rudy tries a couple of times to tell her about Luke on this date. But uh, she's come to her own conclusion that he clearly left town the second she said she was coming out, and she's going to be on her way soon. She's going to leave for Oregon in the morning. But as she's just about to leave, Rudy stops her, and he says that he hopes that when she gets things straightened out that uh, she'll try to reconnect with him. And she revises her plan because of this and says, you know what, I can stay a couple days. There's no reason I have to leave right now, Um, which is 
bad for Rudy. He just messed up. Yeah. Jeff suggests sending her to Miami on a train while they shoot the ad because they're still moving forward with the presidential ad. Rudy doesn't want to send her on a train because he already feels shitty enough about what they've done to her. Uh, but then they ask him, what would a senator do? And he's like, ah, oh, shit, you're right. I got, I got to do whatever's the worst possible thing. <laughs> um, at dinner that night, Rudy tries again to tell her the truth, but uh, he accidentally drops the train ticket that Jeff bought on the floor, and the waiter picks it up and puts it on the table, and she sees it, and then he has to go into their their lie because it's harder to explain that this was a prop for a lie that he's not going to use anymore. Uh, the tech guys set up the satellite interceptors, and also explosives under the cars on Roy's lot. It seems really dangerous to be like on top of a building adjusting satellites within view of the White House. But that's like... But, but this is also 1980. Yeah. But I still feel like you, you'd have sharpshooters trained on you as something. In the restaurant, another customer just pulls out a full-size television and puts it on his table and starts watching Carter's address in the restaurant. Realizing he's not going to get this guy to shut the TV off, Rudy pretends that he's having some sort of an attack and rushes out to the bar where more TVs are broadcasting the speech and then he rushes outside and all th- all this way she's following him further and further out of the restaurant. I'm a little and, confused as to why they're going to this trouble of making sure she doesn't see this commercial. Yeah, I'm not sure really. Because like what does the commercial mean? Like to to, to her, her or an to them? uninvolved person who yeah. doesn't know that she owns the lot now. It's like so you interrupted this broadcast and made a commercial like yeah she would just be like okay that's why my dad does business now i don't know yeah but uh the last place he he sits down is accidentally against the front window of a television shop and all broadcasts are the same speech from carter and then rudy jumps up and puts his hands over barbara's ears and spins her around and starts kissing her for the entire length of the commercial and the commercial is this jeff dressed as a western marshal is firing a shotgun at the cars on Roy's lot. Apparently, they were actually firing a real gun at real cars on the lot. Jesus. It, um, it really it seemed like it. It yeah. didn't seem like squibs or anything. Yeah. Then uh, suddenly, Jim shows up dressed as High Prices, which is just a purple rectangle that says High Prices on yeah. it. Uh, he's like the Grimace, basically. Um, he climbs up on the car's roof, and then Jeff shoots him in the chest. And this was real. They killed the guy. No, um, this part was fake. Yeah, because blood just splatters out. Yeah. It's pretty convincing. But then the commercial ends with them literally detonating a bomb under one of the most expensive cars on Roy's lot. And Roy at home is watching this commercial and puts his foot through his television and gets electrocuted. Um, the next morning, being er- interviewed by the FBI, Jeff blames crazed Iranian students. He's like, yeah, I don't know. There's a bunch of Iranians. And it's like... You're wearing the same clothes you're wearing in the commercial. Why? You just put some shit on your face. It's obviously you. But they're like, okay, great. And they get in their cars and they leave. Back in the shop, Jeff finds Jim asleep, this time with the blowtorch running. Yeah. But they don't turn it off. They just let him sleep like that. Jeff moves outside for a smoke. And suddenly Roy is there trying to run him over and kill him repeatedly. The first stunt is pretty cool here. He chases him up onto a ledge, and then he turns and crashes the car into the ledge, and he falls out onto the hood. Mm-hmm. But it's just the timing worked out really well. And it's actually like Jack Warden driving the car, too, because yeah. he gets out of it. They move into the office and just beat each other up for a long time. Roy takes a chair, and he tries to swing it and hit Jeff, but he's holding it too high, and he smashes it into a beam across the ceiling. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of the samurai sword fight in the mobile home oh yeah in, yeah, yeah. In kill bill when they keep they, realizing the limitations of the area yeah they keep trying to unsheath it and they just keep hitting the walls <laughs> yeah the room's not wide enough to get the sword out then he picks up another chair and he doesn't make the same mistake this time and is able to just knock jeff out during the fight though roy smashes a framed photo of uh, luke and barbara sitting on the edsel it's a black and white photo from when barbara was a child and the car is parked over the pit and he grabs a big piece of glass from this broken frame and he goes to slit Jeff's throat. <laughs> but uh, then it occurs to him that they were burying the pit this morning. I bet my fucking brother is in that hole. Pit. They filled in the pit. And so he runs out to the yard and he digs all of like five inches to get to the roof of the buried car. The dog tries to wake Jim inside. And I was really worried that the dog, because the dog and this unconscious guy and the still on blowtorch blowtorch are all in the same shot and i was like if this dog went a little bit further that way like this could have been a really gross scene but um he can't get jim awake and so he decides to pee on his face which makes this the second movie in a row where a dog peed on a thing to get a message across to people jim chases him out into the pit 
where the dog sits down next to the unburied patch of roof of the car and uh I feel like I definitely would have just assumed the dog did right. this. Right, exactly. And Why would you think that car. anybody knew anything at this point? But, but I, it is Toby. Yeah, I guess Jim knows that Toby's too smart for that. But I also feel like if I'm Roy, I'm going to cover the car up too because I don't want them to know that I know. So I feel like he should have done it first. But then uh, either way, maybe they, they're also going off of information from Jeff, which is that he was here and he saw this picture and he freaked out and he went outside. Because he, he yells it. Right. Jack, Jack Warden, as the brother, yells, the pit. They filled in the pit. Yeah, so he would have heard him say that and know that he knows where the car is. Back in Rudy's trailer, he is having sex with Barbara when Jim calls. Jim fills him in on what happened, and he leaves Barbara very suddenly, but he promises he'll be back soon. Uh, he lies to her that that all that happened was Jeff got in a fight. It has nothing to do with her father. After he steps out, she listens to the full message and it's very uncomfortably direct. Mm-hmm. Like the first thing that Jim says that she didn't hear was, Fuchs knows Luke's dead. He found out where we buried him. <laughs> Luckily, toward the end of the call, he does say, we better do something or the cops are going to think we killed him. But by then she's already sobbing completely and probably in shock. I don't understand why for the rest of the movie she doesn't assume that they murdered her father. Right. Which is what I would have thought if I heard someone say, hey, he figured out where we buried that lady's father. Yeah. At. But then he says that we didn't kill him. Right. But she's already sobbing by then. And I feel like she would have just been so shocked. Like, what? My dad is dead? But even then, he's going to think we killed him could mean like Jeff killed him. And, you know, all we know is that he was a part of the cover up. The next morning, while the press is questioning Jeff about the presidential signal break in, three cops suddenly come flying through the lot toward the pit. Rudy says that they just missed Luke. He got back about a half an hour ago and he went to get breakfast, but he'll be right back. Then from behind a a pile of hay bales, Jim is just drenching Luke's body and car with gasoline and rigging the car to floor it, but it's connected to a tow truck so that he can just drop it from the tow truck and let the car drive in a straight line away from him. And he sends the car perfectly across the road at a power transformer, and the car explodes. I think it's amazing that they could anticipate this. It's not like the traffic was stopped or anything like that. Yeah, and it, also it could have hit any number of things true. on the way. It just and hits not another car. Exploded. Yeah. Well, what if it just hit another car in the road and exploded? Like that yeah. could have happened too. Or it just, just kill a person. Or just hit another car and just came to a complete stop because right? the gasoline didn't ignite. Why is yeah. this guy wearing garlic and have coins on his eyes and he's covered in gasoline? Yeah. I like because I like the line read from one of the cops. Oh look, he is alive. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like oh well. I guess can, so. That confirms it. You said it. Um, they, they can't tell time of death from a from a skeleton. Nope. Roy congratulates Rudy on winning this round so cleanly, and Roy thinks that uh, this death means that the lot is his, but then Rudy says, oh, I guess you forgot about your niece, Barbara. Uh, She's staying over at my place, and then Roy just loses it, punches him in the face, but then Barbara shows up, and he doesn't appreciate that she clearly knows more than she did when he left, because she's very angry and she wants to know the truth, and he starts to tell her, but because there's still law enforcement standing around yeah, Joe, him. Joe Flaherty is like right there. Yeah, just listening to him. And he says, okay, she didn't. he didn't go to Miami. He went to Aspen. And then she fires Rudy and Jeff and Jim. Uh, what he should have done is taken her into the office and explained what actually happened. Yeah. yeah. But instead, he did this. Uh, also show her like the evidence that he was murdered. Yeah. Because they, they have that. Yeah. Rudy is reduced to selling his own stuff to get to the $60,000 mark. But the kids he's trying to sell his stuff to are very skeptical. And he says, well, don't think about it too long. There was a ninth grader looking at it yesterday. Jeff suggests that he spend the rest of his money gambling because it's a much faster way to get to the number he needs. And uh, he, Jeff mentions that he encountered a bunch of tens today. And so he bet $10 on Denver to win tonight's game. Rudy gets a call from the party chairman and he says, hey, so we're bumping up the deadline on that payment. We'll need that $60,000 tomorrow morning. In the background, Jim's empty barbecue erupts in flames, and he uses a fire extinguisher instead of shutting it. Um, Barbara Ruined all that good meat. But there was nothing on the grill. Yeah, there was. Not in the scene where the flames are coming out of it. It's literally completely empty now. Barbara organizes a commercial shoot with Channel 7, K-Fuck. That's the truck literally says K-F-U-K. Of course it does. Uh, One of Roy's guys steals a script from the commercial shoot and shares it with Roy and they laugh at how badly she's running the place. Roy gets a call from the mayor's office saying, hey, you should find a way to sell your lot in the next 24 hours because the mayor is going to announce that uh, off-ramp soon and 
you won't be able to sell it tomorrow, basically. Roy suggests that they head to KFUCK and he has them doctor the commercial that she just shot and change the phrase style of cars to mile of cars. You see where she said style? See the uh, style of cars we have to choose from. Uh, further on down, she says this. 3217 Valley Road, just one uh, mile west of Route... A mile. I took the word mile and I put it over style. Now watch this. Come on down and see the uh, mile of cars we have to choose from. Son of a bitch! <laughs> Let me see that again. What? <laughs> see the uh, mile of cars we have to choose from. We have... God! Damn, that's terrific! What do you think, Sam? Most blatant case of false advertising I've ever seen. I could have it convicted 24 hours after it's aired. The spot is supposed to air tonight, and they expect to have her in court for false advertising the following day. The driving instructor corners Rudy at a bar and slaps him for selling his students lemons, but uh, suddenly Rudy is distracted by the end of the game, and he just kind of drops the instructor on the floor. It seems like Jeff's bet is paying off, but Rudy bet $40,000 against him. Jeff flips out when he hears how much Rudy bet, and he says, Don't you get it? The only way you can win is if, uh, uh, I lose. And the game seems pretty well in hand by the end of the game. There's a minute left, and Denver's up, and it looks like they've got it in the bag. And Rudy says, Minute to go. I think Denver would have to run into some pretty bad luck, don't you think? And then... Jim slides over the salt to Jeff, indicating like, hey, give yourself some bad luck mm-hmm. if you're so, uh, what's the word for people? Who Superstitious. Superstitious, there you go. On the next play, Jeff slaps it over and the Broncos fumble. Immediately, Jeff is rifling through his pockets, dumping rabbit's feet and crushed Lucky Strike cigarette boxes. He starts running around the bar, knocking over everyone's salt, opening whatever umbrellas he can find, and eventually he jumps the bar to climb under a ladder. And as he does this, the uh, the Kansas City Chiefs are throwing a touchdown, but uh, before it's caught, the bartender pulls him out from under the ladder and throws him back over the bar into the into the middle of the room, and so they miss this pass. And then Kansas City sets up for the final play, and Jeff lifts a stool and tosses it through a mirror just as Kansas City takes the lead to finish the game at the last second. Suddenly, Rudy is being kissed by a woman with her arm in a sling that mm-hmm. was standing next to him that hasn't been in the scene at all yeah. or movie at all until just now. I, I was wondering if I had missed something nope. with yeah. her. Nope. Rudy takes his winnings to get his nomination the next day. The lemon. And, sorry. Uh, and so, did he mention what the bet was? He said forty thousand dollars, but what were the odds? He doesn't. He doesn't go into the odds. So we don't know how much money he won. No, Correct. and I don't. I don't imagine it was a lot actually, because Kansas City was favored. Right. Mm. Which is the whole point of him putting ten on Denver was that McCray says something along the lines of like, "Oh, they're they're like the worst in the in their division right now. Mm, There's like no the way tenth. That, yeah. And then he names all the other tens that showed up. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. But yeah, so uh, Rudy gets in this car the next morning. It's a limousine. I think it's a limousine, right? And he has this briefcase with all the cash in it it's just loose money in a briefcase once again looking like real money it looks just like a real pile of cash and he's handed two major bills to go over while he's looking at stuff it's like he didn't he's not already in this position but they're just giving him paperwork that that he might have to deal with presumed yeah he'd be running unopposed and he's just buying the the nomination from the party the the guy in the in the car with him has uh one of those like long chain handcuffs so the yeah. second he gets in there he cuffs the bag of money yeah because he's like you're not taking this back it just We're... seems like super sketchy yeah in, in addition to them buying the the political seat this well guy i seems like he was li- i i thought it was going to turn out that he was lying about this i i thought it was like a setup like that he was going to be caught for bribe trying to bribe yeah. a political officer and that the handcuff was just going to go on Rudy and not the bag. One of the two bills he's handed is about the off-ramp that's going to cut through Roy's lot and suddenly make their lot 
much more expensive. And the other one is about a hospital that's being replaced with a golf course. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we don't get much more of that. I'm assuming he's running as a Republican. He did mention somebody who likes to golf. Well, I think it's the judge. Is it the judge? Okay. They drive past the New Deal used cars lot and it is closed because of the false advertising in their commercial last night. The man in the car with Rudy says that Barbara is due to face a judge in five minutes. And in the courtroom, we see Roy complaining that they've been saddled with a notoriously unbribable judge. But Joe Flaherty insists that, you know, they, they have this case. Like, literally everyone here is is on on the take except for the judge. Yeah. Like, I'm literally, I'm paying her lawyer. Mm-hmm. So it's fine. Don't worry about it. In the car, the guy with Rudy handcuffs himself to Rudy's money. <clears throat> But Rudy gets out of the car in traffic and then somehow cuts the chain with the car door. Like, I'd hate to slam my fingers in this door if it can cut yes. through a metal chain. But the judge enters the courtroom and Barbara is sworn in. Rudy bursts in just as she's beginning her testimony. And she's asked point blank, did you say that there was a, that you have a mile of cars? And Rudy tells her to lie. And she says, I do have a mile of cars. And when she lies is when she's committing the perjury um, on top of the false advertising because now she's saying under oath in court that she has a mile of cars that she doesn't have but the judge makes her repeat this answer uh, as he's dancing his fingers along like a little hangman's gallows on his desk and isn't han solo on the hangman is it oh i didn't even notice it didn't look that closely yeah it it was a guy in a white shirt and a black vest it's a little Mm -hmm. action figure and (laughs) i was just like is that han solo maybe um and the whole thing like i mean the whole fact that they were getting this into court like the next day after it happened is just so weird and bizarre to yeah. begin with and then the fact that the judge comes in and is basically threatening her like he's gonna kill her or lock her up for this like, yeah minor violation that i don't even think is gonna be like a, a federal crime <laughs> yeah i don't even think it's a misdemeanor it was just a i misspoke your honor the end well and and because the judge also seems very accommodating later on yeah so it, it seems like he's not that much of a threat, but they're building it up for this scene. Yeah. But Rudy shouts from the gallery, why don't you see for yourself, judge? And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, why don't you do that? And the judge is like, he's excited by this crowd energy. And he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know what? I am going to do it. And I'm going to do it today. So I'm going to be back there at 245 this afternoon. And then he slams the gavel down and it activates the guillotine on his desk. <laughs> we cut back to Manuel. And he sells Rudy this desert stack of 250 cars out in the middle of nowhere. But he points out, you have no way to move these cars. And he says, oh, that's not true. I got 250 drivers. And Mr. Gertner brought the entire class of kids from his high school. But there, he has 250 cars and he's 250 drivers. Right. You know, there's a whole bunch of extra kids yeah. getting into yeah. the seats with these that's true. drivers. That really bothered me. Well, maybe too. he only brought 250 drivers, but he brought 600 kids. 600 kids. <laughs> I don't know. Manuel says, hey, while you're here, I have a bunch of marijuana I could sell you. And he's like, I don't have time for that right now, Manuel. And but Jeff. Jeff's like, yeah, you should really talk to him about that marijuana. <laughs> but uh, as he's helping Barbara down the hill here, Manuel is just full on grabbing her breasts from behind her. And she like spins away from him, terrified by it. Roy is already celebrating at his lot, assuming that Barbara has left town in embarrassment or to avoid arrest. Jim tells Rudy that they are exactly one car over the mark. I don't know how they know that because they didn't measure all the cars here. Well, I, I, I think it's Jim's car knowledge. Okay. That that he is just like a savant. He's that good. Yeah. Uh, one set of students notices that they're towing a car and he says, we're towing a car. Oh, no. Have you ever towed a car before? No. The kids all start their cars. These kids are all at driver's ed. They've yeah. barely driven before. I don't think they're all even actors. I think they needed so many people on this day that, you know the because the way that they got 250 cars was they literally just put an ad in the paper and said hey we need a scene with a lot of cars so if you bring your car you and your car will be in a movie which is funny because the cars in this pi- this desert pile of cars looks so much nicer than every other car in yes, this movie that's true nervous nona is sitting in a car with their driving instructor mr gertner and she's worried because she has her hands at 10 and 2 but she realizes she'll have to take her hand off the wheel to start the car and she doesn't want to fail the class The cars are all rushing over tumbleweed through the desert, and they're on their way back to the lot. But they realize that going 55, they're not going to get there in time. So Rudy says, it's time for a driving history lesson. We're all going to drive the speed we used to, which is 75 miles an hour. And amazingly, all these cars can go 75 miles an hour. I I, I like the montage of 
feet hitting the gas pedal and then one hits one foot hits it and then two other feet go yeah <laughs> onto it and the same w- in that same montage one of the f- the feet hit the pedal and the pedal just falls off <laughs> <laughs> uh the kids towing a car are immediately getting pulled over and not knowing how to pull over or stop for the police they just brake check this cop and he hits the car that they're towing so hard that his car flips upside down and smashes the car behind them and they look at the instructions for like driving lessons and it says at the scene of an accident wait for the cops to arrive and the girl says they're here and then she pulls away leaving this car and uh, leaving the cop in an upside down car mickey tells roy that he just heard on the police scanner that there's a shitload of used cars on the way and roy immediately knows what the plan is here jeff tells rudy that the cops have set up a roadblock now that they lost the car they were towing jeff says that we no longer have that one car over the line mark that we had before so we're at exactly the length of cars that we need we can't afford to lose one more and rudy says why don't you go ahead of us and when he goes ahead he finds a police roadblock trying to stop all these cars so he tells uh, rudy about it and then they all start off-roading so they're driving as a crow flies straight to the lot Uh, jeff blows past some construction and a bunch of water spraying out of one of the trucks on the road washes all the paint off the side of the car to reveal that it's actually a uh, a red car because it belonged to a fire department see my concern was that it belonged to the fire department and it was going to be a stolen car and not permitted well i think all these painted cars are stolen cars aren't they uh i i assume but i thought that this would be more obvious now that the paints come off i think it's weird that the the fire department would have like a four-door sedan as one of their vehicles Um, well i i do see like these uh fire department like vehicles on the road where it's just like a normal car but it says i guess it's for maybe administrators or yeah i'm not sure um ask your dad okay right right now get him (laughs) on the phone no roy mickey and sam pull up in a pickup truck and roy and mickey climb into the back of it rudy's black pickup truck has a skull and crossbones on the side which reminded me of kurt russell's car in death proof which has a similar paint job but it's a completely different car mickey pulls a gun on them as they're driving side by side through the desert jim swings over and taps their car and mickey tumbles over the hood of of his car he points the gun directly through the windshield at jim and tells him to stop the car and then jim literally punches straight forward through the windshield into the guy's <laughs> face and knocks him tumbling off into the into the dirt of the desert and probably under the wheels of hundreds of student drivers. Yeah. Um, I like uh, Jim and the other driver getting into it. Like, yeah. It's like, I want you. I want you. I want oh, you. You're next. <laughs> Roy starts whipping Rudy and Barbara with a fucking chain from oh the back God. of his truck. Uh, Rudy, Rudy grabs it. And I really wanted him to just tie it off to the truck. But he doesn't do that. And so Roy is able to like basically yank him up and throw him off of that car. And he falls through the soft top of a passing convertible. And uh, then he starts doing like one of those typical Western scenes where he's jumping from horse to horse in a train right. to get to the front, but he's jumping from roof to roof of these cars. He eventually jumps Roy in the truck bed and punches him off of the car into the dirt. The I same like as what they did to Mickey. The car that he jumped off of to get there was the car that the driver instructor and the girl was in. And she's like, I don't know what to do when there's a man on the hood of my car. Yeah. The rest of the cars are all pull- pulling up to the dealership. Jeff drives past a mirror truck and notices in horror that he's driving a red car and pulls over immediately uh, and then walks across the street oh my god and like, this is real right yep. yes 100 percent real did they use like a really crazy long lens or no. something like that no it's just a really stupid stunt i feel like i would have been really mad if i was this actor and i saw mm. this shot and saw how close the guy got but he gets out of this car and he's walking backwards in shock refusing to drive another inch when a car coming the opposite direction swerves around him at less than the last second like let the last quarter second and just misses him by a foot on one side and his reaction is great because he doesn't react to the car at all even though it got so close to him but it's insane it's insane how close they let this car get nona asks mr gertner if she passed the test and he says yes as long as you promise to take your driver's test in another state you get full credit for this class rudy calls to jeff to see where he's at and he admits that he's right at the train tracks on the other side. And uh, he just realized his car is red and he can't drive it any further. And he says, red cars don't mean shit. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like immediately, like, <laughs> I don't want to upset you. Like, I know about your superstitions. I can't 
I don't want to piss you off right now. We've but I've already really been driving you. it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you've been driving it all day. It's not, and then he looks at, at Barbara and then he's like, you know what? You're actually driving. There's gray primer on that car. That's a gr- You're driving a gray car that's been painted red. And he he says, if you don't get here soon, we're going to lose the lot. We have everything we need except for one car. We're going to lose the lot if you can't get over here. And uh, the train is coming, and it's a long one. So if he doesn't get a- across the tracks soon, they are screwed. But when he gets to the tracks, he ends up having to swerve at the last second because the train is already passing. But he gets out of the car, and he flips a switch on this car carrier trailer that's waiting for the train to pass. And the car rolls off the back of the truck. But now the back of the trailer basically formed a ramp on top of this truck. And so he drives full speed and he hits the ramp and clears the track and the train uh, with his mouth full of Lucky Rabbit's feet. And uh, as he's just about to hit the ramp, he goes, it better be a gray car. The final measurement indicates that they are now 18 feet short until Jeff skids up with another 17.8 feet of car. And then Roy slaps the car in celebration and the license plate tips forward and they cross the line into an official mile of cars and the judge immediately dismisses the case, banging the gavel on the back of the vehicle. Mm -hmm. Sam tells Rudy about the off-ramp. Sam is the Joe Flaherty Flaherty character. Um, And he says, hey, uh, the the off-ramp's going to cut through this lot. Your lot's going to become worth a lot more money. I think we should work together. And he tries to make a deal with Rudy right away, even though Rudy does not own this lot. He doesn't even work here anymore. Barbara owns this lot. And uh, Joe Flaherty is the one who set up Barbara. Yeah. Like, he was involved in that. Although Flaherty did advise Roy not to kill his brother. Yeah. that's It's one thing earlier when he's like, oh, you know, he's got a bad heart. We could always use that. And he's like, you don't want to do something dangerous like that. Like, blatantly tells him, don't don't kill your brother. Let's just let him die. Here, Barbara accuses Rudy of having known all along that the the off-ramp was going to cut through the other dealership. And for some reason, he lies and says he has no idea and he just found out right here. And then a woman interrupts them to ask about this vehicle. And she says, was this a taxi? Why is it painted yellow? And she says, no, that's just yellow primer because she's learning how to lie with him. And but, but why? What, what would be the problem with saying, yes, it was a taxi? I don't know. High mileage? High use? Vomit smell? I don't know what the taxi problems are. But either way, that's the end of the film. Uh, it was directed by Robert Zemeckis, who obviously did the Back to the Future trilogy, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Forrest Gump. He wrote 1941 with Bob Gale. He's currently remaking The Witches. I hope that's not too CG. Oh, the Roald Dahl Witches? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, I think that the other one is... Perfect? Yeah, it's uh, really good. I, I don't know about perfect, but it's good. And yeah. I have, I think Angelica Houston was phenomenal. Yeah, it's yeah. great in that movie. The writer here was Bob Gale, obviously co-written with Robert Zemeckis. He also wrote the Back to the Futures. He wrote the story for Bordello of Blood, which is fun. That's the second Tales from the Crypt feature. Mm-hmm. He was also the creator of the Back to the Future animated series, which uh, I hadn't really heard of before I went into like a deep dive of it. Oh, but, it's on my plex yeah it's got <laughs> it's got chris lloyd mary steenburchen and thomas wilson all did voices in every episode or actually chris lloyd appears in the live action segments but there's yeah, some yeah. in every episode apparently peyton reed was a writer for that show who went on to direct the ant-man movies and oh. uh jules is in every episode of the show but Vern is hardly in any of them right uh, i think it's also important to know that this idea was kind of sparked i think or i think you touched about it that this sparked uh, an idea was sparked by Spielberg and uh, John Milius. Uh, John Milius, who I guess they kind of sort of not bought the rights out of, but asked the rights permission yeah. to make this movie because they're yeah. too busy. So I feel like we should include them as as at least story by. And they got EP credits on this too. Yeah, Kurt Russell was Rudy Russo. He followed in the footsteps of his father Bing Russell, appearing in a lot of TV throughout his childhood. In 1966, Walt Disney's final words were Kurt Russell, and that year, Kurt Russell signed a 10-year deal with Walt Disney Studios and appeared on a long line of Disney releases. Uh, He's had a fruitful partnership with several directors like John Carpenter and Quentin Tarantino. He's proven his longevity with major parts in current franchises like Fast and the Furious and Marvel Cinematic Universe, and uh, we actually share a credit on The Hateful Eight, which I handled the digital dailies processing on. And Kurt is a class act. Jack Warden was Roy L. Fuchs and Luke Fuchs. He was juror number seven in 12 Angry Men. He was Big Ben Healy in Problem Child. Yeah. 
Uh, he's Pops in Dirty Work, and we'll see him next as Mike Tarkanian in The Great Muppet Caper. I, I've never seen him young, and seeing him as old as he was in this one in 1980, and it's like, God, how old was he in Bullworth? Well, I, mean, I think they, this... they dressed him up to make him look a lot older than he was That's in true. this one. Garrett Graham was Jeff. We just had him as the older brother in Home Movies, which I think is still at the bottom of my list for the year. He's Beef in Phantom of the Paradise. He plays Phil Simpson in Child's Play 2. And he also has writing credits on a few of the 1980s Twilight Zones. And uh, also story and additional dialogue credits on Oliver and Company, The Little Mermaid, and Mickey's Prince and the Popper short. Hmm. Because he did voice work on those. I also like him as uh, Franklin Sherman, uh, Jay Sherman's father. Oh, yes. He's like crazy rich father. Yeah. Frank McRae was Jim the Mechanic here. Uh, he was Captain Doyle in Loaded Weapon 1. And basically the same character as Decker in Last Action Hero, which is obviously a reference to uh, the co-writer of Shane Black on a mm-hmm. bunch of movies. He was Sharky in License to Kill. He played Harry Noble in Batteries Not Included. And he also played as a defensive tackle with the Chicago Bears for six games in 1967. Joe Flaherty is Sam Slayton. And uh, he's an SCTV regular. He's the guy who says jackass. <laughs> Uh, he played Abe's dad on Clone High. I'm going to say what movie he says that in. No, people Jackass. Uh, he was also the dad on Freaks and Geeks, and we had him earlier this year in Nothing But... No, not Nothing But Trouble. We had him earlier this year in Nothing Personal as one of the cops from the Innocent Gasoline fight. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and he's also in another Zemeckis movie, Back to the Future Part Two, where he is the deliverer of the Western Union telegram yeah. to Marty out in the middle of nowhere. We have a little bet going as to whether this Marty would actually be here. Looks like I lost. <laughs> uh, David L. Lander played Freddie Paris. He's probably best known as Squiggy of Laverne and Shirley's Lenny and Squiggy. He also plays Smartass in Roger Rabbit. Uh, no, there's Mechus. Yep. Michael McKean plays Eddie Winslow, uh, <laughs> probably not best known as Lenny from Laverne and Shirley's Lenny and Squiggy. He was Mr. Green and Clue. He's lots of Christopher Guest stuff, basically every mm-hmm. Christopher Guest movie. He was David St. Hubbins in This is Spinal Tap. He's Chuck McGill, brother of Jimmy McGill, a.k.a. Saul Goodman on Better Call Saul. He plays Morris Fletcher on a bunch of X-Files episodes. Yeah, that which is a really fun character. Yeah, and he's also Fred Ritter in Short Circuit 2 and the pool boy in Earth Girls Are Easy. Uh, I, just, I just laugh every time I read that his name is Eddie Winslow. Yeah. <laughs> And just think, thinking of Flammy Matters. <laughs> Harry Northup played Carmine. He played Thomas Burke in Tom Horn this year. He plays Doughboy and Taxi Driver and Mr. Bimmel in Silence of the Lambs. Uh, Alfonso Aro played Manuel. He played Juan in Romancing the Stone for mm-hmm. Zemeckis. And the sequel came from uh, Alligator director Louis Teague. He directed A Walk in the Clouds and Like Water for Chocolate. Really? Yeah. He played Bandito number one in Jodorowsky's El Topo. He's the voice of Papa Julio in Coco. Mm-hmm. And he has a plethora of other roles, <laughs> but he will always be El Guapo in my heart. Al Lewis was Judge Harrison. He was Grandpa on The Munsters. Yeah. It was like, and I was surprised. Um, it, when I looked at his credits for The Munsters, um, it had it from like 1964 to 2004, yeah, yeah. which I thought was weird. But even in that large of time span of like reboots and recastings, it's only 72 episodes. That's weird. Um, at least for Grandpa. Yeah. Uh, I imagine there would be some that he wasn't in. But uh, I just thought, I was like, man, I feel like that show probably was on for a long time. But 72 episodes doesn't seem like that long. Yeah, that is weird. Woodrow Parfrey was Mr. Gertner. Uh, we've said before he was Maximus in Planet of the Apes. He was Cluciate in Papillon or Clusio and Papillon, probably, Mr. Jaffe in Dirty Harry, and we previously had him as W.C. Hannon in Carney and Dr. Canterbury in Bronco Billy, two circus movies that came out around the same time. Dub Taylor played Tucker. He was Wayne's Coat in The Wild Bunch, Laughlin in The Getaway, and Ivan Moss in Bonnie and Clyde. Wendy Jo Sperber was Nervous Nona, the student driver. She plays Dr. Tina Gasco in Bachelor Party and Linda McFly older sister of marty yeah. mcfly in uh, back to the future I, I couldn't figure out it was her voice yeah that i was like i know this girl's voice mm-hmm. and i couldn't place it mark mcclure was uh heavy duty dubois 
And uh, he plays Jimmy Olsen in the original Superman quadrology yeah. and Supergirl. Also a voice that I recognized immediately. Yeah. And he's also Dave McFly, uh, another sibling of Marty's in Back to the Future. Dick Miller plays Man in Bed. This was his second movie for us after the cop at the beginning of Happy Hooker Goes Hollywood. And sadly, this was his last film. He only had the two. He's definitely not in hundreds and hundreds of movies. <laughs> uh, he, and we just lost him fairly recently. Uh, Rita Taggart was the woman in the bed. She played a reporter in 1941. She was Rita Jakovich in The China Syndrome. And we just had her as Thelma in Die Laughing, which is uh, one of the women from the, the evil team. The evil team? The team that we're trying to steal the monkey back from the kid. Betty Thomas plays Bunny. Betty Thomas, anyone? She has a few acting credits, but toward the end of the 80s, she moved behind the camera to direct the Brady Bunch movie, Private oh. Parts, Eddie Murphy's Dr. Doolittle, and our friend Andrea yes. had the pleasure of working with her on the Squeakwool, which she directed. But yeah, I was I was laughing so hard when I was like, wait, she was that character? She was the, the stripper wearing bunny ears on the car <laughs> with Kurt Russell in this movie? Lastly, we have Sanford Gibbons, who was the cop at the roadblock. He played Father Feeney in Tombstone with Kurt Russell, and he'll be back later this year as a desk sergeant in Night Kill. Uh, I wanted to bring up somebody, not because they have a lot of credits, yeah. just because their name is wonderful. Uh, the woman who played the wife of the family with a lot of kids. Yeah. The actress's name is Jan Sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> That's really amazing. I love it. And she's only been in a handful of things, one of which was a uh, something. Some Please TV- tell me it was a sandwich commercial. No, it was a TV series <laughs> called Probe. Hmm. Uh, and I married Wyatt Earp. Small, beautifully moving parts and wait, dad's she married kids. Wyatt Earp. And Kurt Russell <laughs> played Dead Wyatt Kids. Earp. Sorry. Oh my god, that's, that movie. That short is called Dead Kids. Wait, is it a short or is it a feature? <laughs> it's a short called Dead Kids. Because there's well, also a movie called movie. Dead Kids. Oh, in the eighties. Uh, this was a short in t- 2016. Uh, but another uh, credit I wanted to bring up uh, was the casting director, uh, because I think that that's a really uh, Thing that we don't usually touch celebrated on. uh but uh because i was just looking at like the casting of this movie and the casting of this it's like 1941 which makes sense because right. it's zemeckis uh but casting of tom horn and then other cool things like robocop uh heathers uh robocop 2 exorcist 3 nice. cuffs which is a fun weird christian slater movie i don't know and uh so uh, and the china syndrome because like uh, we yep. mentioned uh Jack yeah and uh, so I just thought it was interesting that she obviously has a, a group of people that she likes to cast. Yeah. What, what is her name? Uh, Sally Dennison. Hmm. Okay. This is an enjoyable film. There, There's plot holes and there's, I mean, you can tell it's an early work from somebody, but it has a lot of fun energy and there's a lot of fun jokes going on all over the place in it. This is the first time I've seen it, believe it or not. Oh, really? Yeah. I had not seen this film before. Had you seen it before? Definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I hadn't seen it. But um, I like this one. Um, it's for sure a thumbs up for me. Because uh, it's just every the the cast is just nonstop great people. Everybody mm. in the whole cast is amazing, and uh, for this to be, it's not his first feature, right? Zemeckis had a feature before this. Um, I thought it was his first. I, mean, uh, I think it's uh, googling, it's... slowly googling. Uh, short, short, short. Yeah, he had a feature before this. Uh, yeah. It's called uh, "I Want to Hold Your Hand." Right, but this is definitely early for him, and uh, it's cool to see. Uh, how how much of a uh, skill he already had directing mm-hmm. like the first shot being like a long crane shot that moves down even if there's a tiny screw up in it like it's just a fun way to shoot the scene mm-hmm. and uh, he cared about where the camera was and stuff that early but I think it comes across as really fun and it feels like a nice tribute to like the western like cattle wrestling movies but it's just you replaced all the, the cattle with cars in the movie and it just feels like too people arguing in the west because it's all in the desert still but they just remade it as a modern day movie and that's fun to me yeah i mean there's a lot of elements in here that i think are all right but i don't know that i would tell anybody to go out and watch this movie yeah so i don't know that i give it a thumbs up all right richard what about you thumbs up thumbs down um i i do agree with with jesse on this uh that it's wasn't quite what i wanted it to be i guess sure um, I'm, I am giving it an up. Uh, it was, I still had a good time, but I can see that this was still very kind of rough around the edges kind of movie. Yeah. And obviously his, his next movies would be much more, much 
better or celebrated. And, 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 you know, like I mean, romancing to me, romancing the stone is is much better than this film. Yeah, romancing the stone like that franchise could almost have been another Indiana Jones yeah level like series. Yeah, and, I love uh, that movie. Yeah, they're, they're both of them are great actually. I even I even like uh, the Jewel of the Nile. But uh, yeah, what about Letterboxed? So I have it um, just above the nude bomb, uh, but just below the stuntman. Just below the nude bomb? No, just above the nude bomb. Above the nude bomb, sorry. But below the stuntman, which puts it in the mid-20s, I think, somewhere here for the year. Richard? Um, I'm actually putting it up, despite what I said, I'm putting it pretty high. Um, I'm actually going to put this between Last Married Couple and uh, Little Miss Marker. Which puts it uh, 5, 10, 15, uh, about 23. It's much lower for me. Um, I, I, I enjoyed it. But uh, for me, this goes just below North Sea Hijack and just above Die Laughing, which um, it's in 24th place for See, me. We all had it right around the same place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I moved it at the last second. It was <laughs> you didn't want to be embarrassed. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't even give it a thumbs up, and I put it higher than you. No. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's everything for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterbox. Or as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at vintagevideopodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can support the show through patreon.com slash vintage video podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing The Big Red One, which IMDb describes like so. A hardened sergeant and four core members of his infantry unit try to survive World War II as they move from battle to battle throughout Europe. We leave you now with the trailer for The Big Red One. story that Samuel Fuller has waited 35 years to tell. These are the boys of the Big Red One. They're not boys anymore.